Everyone, please grab a seat. If we haven't met before, my name is Samuel, and I am one of the ministry trainees here at St. Andrew's Free Church. Tonight, we are continuing our evening series in the Gospel of Mark as we look at Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. Before we look at this passage, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Please soften our hearts so that we may listen to your word this evening. I pray that you would bless the reading and teaching of your word tonight so that we might love the Lord Jesus Christ the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I ask you to turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 44, which can be found on page 849 in the Black Church Bibles. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Lots of us have our own heroes who, whilst we will greatly admire them, no one else has heard of them. In a London Sainsbury's last year, I bumped into Matthew Ball, a scouser my nana knew as a child before he became a principal dancer for the Royal Ballet. Now, the name Matthew Ball probably means nothing to you, and it meant nothing to my friend who was with me. Having no clue who this man was, my friend watched me ask him questions, ask for a photo, before commenting that they thought he was a school friend of mine. Because my friend didn't know the identity of Matthew Ball, my reaction to Matthew Ball made little to no sense to them. And, sometimes, our behavior towards Jesus can similarly be misinterpreted. People do find our love for Jesus strange and question us. Why is Jesus the most important person to you? Why is your Christianity not just an activity you personally enjoy at the weekend, but something you want me to engage with as well? Tonight, in our passage, we're going to see how our love for Jesus isn't fanaticism, 
but the appropriate response to who Jesus is. We'll consider Jesus's authority as Lord and why as a result we lovingly give our all towards Jesus. This brings me to my first point, authority. Jesus is Lord and no one else. If you've been with us, we've seen in our Mark series, Jesus being asked question after question by his opponents on taxes, on the resurrection, on what is the greatest commandment. Jesus, to all these questions, has responded wisely and authoritatively to questions designed to trip him up. And now there is silence. If you look up at verse 34 before our passage, the loud questioning scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, no longer dare to ask him any more questions. And in that silence, it is now Jesus' turn to ask a question. In verse 35, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Maybe we think this is a bit of an odd question to ask. Maybe we're unsure as to what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus, in his question, isn't noticing a contradiction in Scripture. He isn't, in fact, saying that the scribes are wrong in calling the son of David the Christ. Jesus is noticing that people do not call their sons my Lord. I don't know if you watched the coronation. I personally had it on all day. Uh, but even if you didn't watch it, King Charles did not address Prince William, who is due to be king one day, as his superior. But this is what David is doing here in Psalm 110, the Psalm of David Jesus is quoting here. The son of David, the Christ, was promised to David around a thousand years before Jesus' birth. This ancestor of David would make the throne and house of David last forever. David is not only saying in Psalm 110 that his ancestor outranks him politically. If we look again, the son of David is sitting at the right hand of the Lord. Sitting at the right hand of the king on his throne gave one special privileges and honor. But this isn't the right hand of a Davidic king. This Lord of David's, who is also a son of David, is sat at the right hand of the Lord, Yahweh, the eternal and sovereign God. Now, for the original hearers, this is quite a head-scratching moment. This is one who is from David's line, but is also David's superior. This is one who is a human, but also sits at the right hand of the eternal God. What is the answer to this muddle? Now, if we looked at verses 35 to 37 out of context, it may seem like Jesus doesn't provide an answer to this muddle. But throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus has made it clear that he is the answer because he is both God and man. In chapter 2, Jesus forgives sins, something which is the scribe's question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus brings Jairus' daughter back from the dead. He calms a storm with his words. In our Mark series, we've been looking at the past few weeks. We have seen Jesus as God with the authority to save, riding into Jerusalem as the son of David, and with the authority to judge, 
declaring that the temple is a den of robbers. Jesus can therefore be David's Lord because he isn't just another ancestor, another king, another fallen man who has sinned against the Lord. Jesus is God the Son who is sat at the right hand of Yahweh. Now, it is important to notice that verses 35 to 37 come straight after verses 28 to 34. If we look at verse 28 of chapter 12, Jesus was asked by a scribe, which commandment is the most important of all? Then in verse 30, we receive the answer, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And now, Jesus in verses 35 to 37 has taught that Jesus, he is indeed God, whom they are to love. Jesus' opponents, the scribes, claim to honor God. They have asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you authority to do them? They have sought to catch Jesus out to prove that he is an imposter. What Jesus shows here in this passage is that if the scribes really honored God, they should have loved Jesus wholeheartedly. Mark's first hearers needed to remember these truths, that Jesus is Lord and no one else. Declaring Jesus as Lord seemed naive. The Jewish and Roman authorities looked as if they were the big power players of the day. Declaring Jesus as Lord and telling others the gospel looked weak in comparison to these big councils, governors, and kings. Claiming Jesus as Lord not only looked weak, but involved persecution. As Mark chapter 13, verse 13 states, the first Christians, Mark's hearers, were hated by all for Jesus' namesake and were delivered over to the councils and beaten in the synagogues. And there would have been a temptation that comes from this, that comes from persecution, to go back to the scribes for authority. Who we think is powerful tends to determine who we love, who we listen to. The scribes, Jesus' opponents, seemed legitimate and powerful by all appearances, as opposed to Jesus, who the first Christians were being killed for. And for us now in St. Andrews, we can still wonder whether Jesus is really Lord or whether we're a bit naive. Politicians seem to have more influence with their economic, educational, and environmental policies. Writers, YouTubers with millions of subscribers worldwide seem to be more relevant, more powerful, as they tell us what food to eat, where to invest our money, what bits of Christianity we should be interested in. There can be a temptation to talk, behave, believe that Jesus is not really Lord, and the figures of today are those in control, and we should love and listen to them. God's people, whether Mark's hearers or us now, need to stick to the truth that Jesus is Lord and no one else. Jesus is in a completely different category to all others, for he is the eternal Lord of everywhere, Whilst others may seem more impressive for now, politicians may lead nations, YouTubers may have millions of subscribers worldwide, they are not 
reigning over every atom of creation eternally. They don't keep every single one of their promises. They are not able to keep their people through persecution, suffering, and death, as the Lord Jesus Christ can do for us. Who else would we put our trust in than our Lord Jesus Christ? And when we contemplate Jesus' lordship and think about it, it becomes a ransom for many. He was betrayed, beaten, scorned, drunk the cup of God's wrath, died, so that his people, spiritually dead sinners, could become adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. In light of what Jesus the Lord has done for his people, the correct response is love. And that brings me on to my second point, our response to Jesus' lordship, lovingly give Jesus your all. If we look at verses 38 to 44 again of our passage, they are often verses which are misinterpreted. In my secondary school religious education classes, these verses would have been understood as teaching that all rich people will go to hell and all poor people in virtue of being poor will go to heaven. The verses on the widow's offering can sadly be abused to pressure people into giving all of their money to a church. It is important in order to prevent harmful misinterpretations of these verses to realize that these verses aren't dropped in from the sky. They come straight after Jesus has made it clear that he is the Lord whom we are to love and to listen to. And this Lord tells us, if we look at verse 38, beware of the scribes. Now, the scribes would appear to be the people who loved God. They preserved scripture. They studied it. They transcribed it. They wrote commentaries. And yet, Jesus' diagnosis of their behavior shows that although the scribes may know a lot about the scriptures, they do not love the Lord. Jesus has just recited Deuteronomy chapter 6, saying that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The scribes don't lovingly give God their all. Instead, they seek to kill God the Son. They capture Jesus in Gethsemane. They provide false witness about him before the council they deliver him to Pilate to be killed. They do not know God, they do not love God, for they do not love Jesus. Beware them. And if we look again at verses 38 to 39, their hatred of God spills out into their behavior, which Jesus lists here. What the scribes love with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength is walking around in robes, greetings in marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, the place of honor at feasts. What they love is to be seen by others, their tokens of status, the white linen robes that set them apart, the bows they get as they pass through the marketplace. This con this contrast to their competition stood in front of them, the legitimate Lord, 
Jesus Christ, the servant king. And the ugliness of the scribe's behavior isn't just a silly but lovable pomposity. If we look at verse 40, they devour widows' houses. Devour is a strong word, mercilessly leaving nothing left. We're uncertain as to what this specifically meant. It may have been exploiting the vulnerability of the most, the hospitality of the most vulnerable, or taking widows' houses as pledges for unpayable debts. As Psalm 68 says, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God intends for the care of widows in 1 Timothy, providing detailed guidelines on the care of widows. The scribes, despite their appearances, have lives which are grossly offensive to God. And having listed their offenses, God the Son, now at the end of verse 40, acts as judge and passes his verdict. They will receive the greater condemnation. Because Jesus is Lord, there are consequences for not recognizing his lordship. The psalm Jesus quoted earlier, Psalm 110, that we sung, makes it clear that you do not want to be an enemy of David's Lord. Psalm 110 reads, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. All those who set themselves up as rival authorities to God, including those who may have a religious appearance like the scribes, will be forced to submit to his authority one day. There is a day coming where at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But whereas for us in Christ, this will be the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth, for everyone who rejects and hates David's Lord, it will be the beginning of the judgment. This is a specific application to the scribes, the historical group in these verses. We therefore need to be careful when applying warnings about the scribes today. For example, wearing a robe in religious authority does not make one by definition a scribe. There are, however, principles that we can still draw out for those in religious leadership today. Beware religious leaders who, whilst claiming to honor God, hate Jesus the only Lord and judge of all. Beware religious leaders who love receiving honor and status from crowds. Beware religious leaders who don't follow the servant king but look to exploit, maybe by using church donations inappropriately. And whilst there is a specific application in these verses to religious authorities, Jesus has taught that if anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Jesus. I wonder if there are areas where we can mirror the scribe's behavior and not the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, as a ministry trainee, need to guard against pride. 
Being a ministry trainee gives so many wonderful opportunities to serve you, my church family, but this also means that I need to guard against doing things to be noticed and praised by others. Wonderfully, however, we are not like the scribes. Because we have loved the Lord Jesus Christ, whilst we still battle with indwelling sin, our Lord has taken the full punishment that our pride deserves. Because we have loved Jesus, our pride does not condemn us anymore. Our Lord Jesus Christ has guaranteed our salvation. In light of who our Lord is and what he has done for us, we lovingly give Jesus our all. Let's look again at verses 41 to 44. In the sections before, Jesus has just taught that we are to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Because everything in creation is God's, perhaps we would expect the rich people putting in the large sums to be what Jesus commends. They have given the most of God's stuff to God. Perhaps instead we would expect the Pharisees to be the one Jesus commends because they have created all these extra rules so that every part of life can be controlled. But if we look, Jesus observing the temple draws attention to a poor widow who puts in two small copper coins which make a penny. She put in what I calculated to be around 65p in today's currency. The widow hasn't given the most stuff to the temple, to God's work. In a big crowd of people jostling in the temple, most people probably don't realize she is there. She's not a celebrity. She's not a leader. She may even be a bit of a pain to the people in the temple, not fitting with the grandeur surrounding, taking her time to put in her small offering and getting in the way of the important people putting in their large sums. Despite appearances, if we look at verse 43, Jesus says that she has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The poor widow is one of many figures in Mark's gospel, such as the bleeding woman, blind Bartimaeus, and the lady with the precious ointment, who do not appear impressive, but are commended by Jesus for their heart towards the Lord. They are not perfect, but they understand that the Lord is worth their all, that the Lord loves them, and give their all to the Lord. And so this lady is commended by Jesus, for she gives her all, all she had to live on towards the Lord. Despite what we read earlier, that the scribes are devouring widows' houses, she is assured that the Lord loves her and provides for her. And so the application from the poor widow is not to give all of your money to the church. It is to lovingly give God your all. Jesus is teaching the disciples that the gospel is not looking impressive like the scribes with hearts that are far away from God. It is complete surrender to God and total trust in him. Giving Jesus our all is tricky because we want to be the lords of our own life. I wonder which areas we can struggle to give to Jesus. 
which areas we want to section off as ours. Part of the difficulty of giving God our all can be that we imagine God is a constantly disappointed taskmaster who is looking to trip us up. The devil lies to us and tells us that giving our all to Jesus isn't perfect freedom, but a hard burden. As we look at these verses, let's be encouraged that Jesus, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, sees our service as he sees the widow's offering. Like the widow, our service can often be weak and stumbling. It can often be drowned out by things that appear more impressive. But as we read here, Jesus sees. God loves and is pleased by his children's weak offering of their all to him. Let's not think I am not like that more impressive Christian and so I have nothing to give to the Lord. The widow did not give out of, out of abundance, but out of poverty. It was not a lot, but she could still lovingly give her all towards God. And so, when we don't take a better job in another town because there isn't a good Bible-preaching church there, God sees. When we are criticized in our workplace because of our seemingly outdated Christian views, God sees. When we turn down a romantic relationship because it would not follow our God's word, God sees. As we finish tonight, let's remember it is only in light of Jesus being Lord that we continue to give Jesus our all. Our hearts were opposed to Jesus and his lordship. Jesus, the resurrected Lord, has however paid the price for our sins, transforming sinners through the Holy Spirit to have new hearts. Because of what the Lord has done for us, we can now love the Lord and lovingly offer our all to him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your majesty. Thank you that you are completely sovereign over all creation. Please help us to remember your lordship. And please help us to rejoice that a majestic God like you would send his precious son to die on a cross for our sins. In light of what you have done for us, help us to love you, help us to want to give our all to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.